Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. It's the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. My name is not Caleb Mason because I'm not a dork. My name is Todd Ixenbell, a.k.a. the Todd Father. Love you, Caleb. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm actually not... I'm on the back end of recovering from a little bit of sickness. You probably you hear are. it in my voice. You are. He's been, he's been a sick dude. I know. And I'm recovering from it. However... In spite of that, we have a phenomenal episode today. Today we're talking with Mo Isom, and Mo is a New York uh, Times bestselling author. There are so many Mo problems that there are Mo. Mo I can't Mo believe I can't believe I you just did that. She's an author. She's a speaker. There are so many jokes. Um, and she's a former All American goalkeeper for LSU. Did you know that? I, I mean, I was a part of the interview, also, so I knew that she applied. Or she didn't apply. She tried out for the LSU um, football team. She did. As well. She has some cool stories about that. She does. We get into all that. We do. It is a very, we go deep into her story, and it's just kind of a really uh, wide-ranging conversation that we talk with her. Yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a lot of fun to, to talk with her. Yeah, and. It's good stuff. The person that is making this episode possible is Sam Massey, who. Um, if you noticed, this month we were we have new podcast music. Yeah, we it's do. It's all because of Sam, and so and it's Sam, awesome. Sam is the sponsor of this episode's podcast. And so, if you want to connect with him for any music needs that you may have, whether it be a TV or a radio spot, or for any videos that your companies or organizations, or if you have a podcast and you like some podcast music, except you can't have ours because no, it's exclusive Learners Corner. We rights. have ours. Yeah, but you can reach out to him, and all of his info will be in the show notes. Boom. However, now before we get into our conversation with Mo, we do have our Learner's Corner recommended resource of the week. Larry Wilmore is a guy who runs a podcast called Black on the Air, and a couple weeks ago he did an episode where he broke down the Jesse Smollett case with a guy named Van Lathan, who is a reporter for TMZ. And it was an incredibly interesting conversation. It's probably one of the most nuanced conversations I've heard on the whole Jussie Smollett case. If you don't know what happened with all that, just Google Jussie Smollett. You'll learn about it pretty quickly. Um, But it was an incredibly interesting uh, interview. It's about 50 minutes long. Turn that thing on two times speed or 1.5 times speed. You'll get through it quick. Um, but they had a great conversation and, and nuanced some things about it that I had not thought about. And so it was something that, that really helped me. Bonus episode from this same podcast, Bill Simmons came on um, the, this podcast. And Bill Simmons has a really, really big deal podcast um, that he has all, as part of The Ringer. And it's the most downloaded sports podcast of all time, all this stuff. And so he came on and talked about LeBron's legacy, mental illness, and mental health problems in the NBA. And he also talked about the new documentary out called Leaving Neverland. And so they had this huge conversation about it. This one's about an hour an hour and 16 minutes long. I really suggest checking out um, Larry Wilmore's Black on the Air podcast. Um, if you're a person who you know doesn't do well with the language thing um, – skip this this might resource. be a, the, the, the yeah this, this this podcast might be one that you don't you might not want to delve into but if you're if you're if you're cool with with you know being able to make it through that this is a podcast that you need to follow yeah i haven't listened to the bill simmons podcast one um but i've listened to the other one and it, it is a great conversation yeah so that's our learner's corner recommended resource of the week Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-ba. maybe we should have sam make that noise for us we can talk about that later. Now, as we mentioned, we have a great conversation with Mo Isom, and here it is. Well, Mo, welcome to the Learner's Corner. We are so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm excited to join you guys. This is a treat. You know, just as um, you know, just as we were, you know, getting ready for the interview, we were just kind of looking through your bio, and my goodness, you do a lot of different things like even in your past you know you were you used to play for the LSU Tigers you know you're yeah. you're an author you're a, you're a speaker what like how do you do how do you do all this like what no, what no, are no. some I have, I have a question what are some tricks of the trade i have a question first i have a question first okay 
How does it feel to not your to have your school not be as good as Ohio State this year? That's all I need to know. Ew. And I'm I not. I'm I'm going to be completely honest. I've paid no mind or energy to Ohio State, so I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> when Ohio State starts to hit my radar, I'll let you know. Um, I'm sure you guys probably have a good team, but um, you you're know, pronouncing it incorrectly. <laughs> you're pronouncing it incorrectly. It's it's the Ohio State. I just want to. For the audience, I just want to make sure that they're there. See, this is how little I know about conferences that pale in comparison to the SEC. And I hate to say it right now, but we all bow down to Alabama for right now. You know what? It, it took like a, a, a bludgeon to the knee, but I eventually had to bow. There's just no not bowing at this point. It's just, it's absurd. It is so absurd. They have a dynasty and a monopoly on all of college football of victory. So it's frustrating, but I think we can all finally just even, even us tigers can pay our respects to the greatness that is Alabama. <laughs> what, at, whenever you were an athlete at LSU, what, what were some of the things um, that sports really helped, helped to learn, helped you learn and impacted you and shaped you? Oh, that's a great question. You know, they actually kind of ties in with your first question of how are you juggling everything that you're juggling now, um, writing and speaking and wife and momhood and, um, you know, all the things that are kind of always up in the air. I think, you know, playing soccer at LSU was one of my greatest honors. I mean, just that sport could could garner a, a college scholarship, you know, an education. I never took for granted um, because it was just tremendous to get to represent a school, to get to, to get an incredible education and um, to get to do something unique and special that, you know, not everyone is able to say they played at the division one level and won championships and, um, you know, competed, I guess, at that level of intensity. And so as much as it was an honor, it was like one of my greatest learning curve seasons of life of how to juggle balance handle many important things all at the same time like the glass balls you can't drop mm -hmm. um there were so so much expectation on you as a student athlete and so many eyes on you even though goodness we're just children i mean they are just children um at this point in college but you know there's just a lot of important parts and it was an incredible amount of pressure but um, it taught me such great life lessons about about juggling the glass balls and doing things with excellence and learning when to incorporate rest and you know learning how to succeed humbly and how to fail um, gently uh, I guess kindly and humbly as well and um, just all the amazing things that sports teach us I think to do it at the top level of you know, college athletics teaches you so much more about life at the end of the day than it really does your sport. So um, I'm just, I love that season. I'm grateful looking back at it. That was, you know, when I was playing soccer at LSU, had was breaking records and we were winning championships. But then I spent my fifth year of eligibility even training with the LSU men's football team as a place kicker. Um, and even just in that time, it was like an even more amplified version of pushing yourself Um as far and as hard as you possibly can as an athlete and um, with a goal and with a focus and learning how to, how to juggle it and how to um, do it and not lose your mind and not uh, have your head float into the clouds and also not be crushed and annihilated when the answer after 22 months of training was a no, you know, because of roster numbers and because of the amount of eligibility I had left and I could hit a 53 yard field goal, but so could the starter. So to have worked so long and so hard pushing myself at the you know, top level of what I could do and to then get a no, that was one of the greatest lessons in life I think I learned as well, that you know, no's don't have to be words of dismissal, they're words of direction. And that was a closed door, but God had a lot in store and up ahead. And it's been fun kind of figuring out that journey ever since. Yeah. For, some might not know what, for some of the folks that might not know what you're talking about, can you tell the story of how, of you in the football team. Can you just, for people who might not know the story? Yeah. yeah, of course. So I played um, soccer at LSU. That's what I was uh, recruited there for. And, and that's what my scholarship was for. 
But a lot of people don't realize an NCAA athlete actually gets five years of eligibility to play a sport or sports. So it takes into account if you were to redshirt and get injured, you still have a five-year clock. You don't just miss a year and too bad, you know, you only get three years to play. It's like you have five years to complete four seasons. Well, I was, uh, by the grace of God, about to finish my fourth season of soccer without interruption that had caused, you know, any, I guess, bump in the calendar of it all. And I realized I have this fifth year of eligibility. I have this whole year in my hands where I don't really want to go adult yet. (laughs) And I really like being an athlete. And so what can I do? Um, It was really trying to figure out, you know, um, is there, is there anything left in the tank and what could I do and where could it fit? And, um, you know, the soccer team and the football team all train in the same facility. And I'd had relationships with the coaches and with the players for years and years. I mean, I was recruited for my leg soccer wise. My second game ever as a freshman for soccer, I scored a 90 yard goal. I mean, it wasn't a mystery that I could, I could kick the skin off the ball. And so we would mess around and punt and kick field goals and just kind of play around with the guys a lot of the time. Um, but when it kind of struck me like, wait, maybe I could actually hone this skill and, and see if I could offer the team any type of weapon, any type of strength. That was my whole motive of like, could I bring something unique to the team that could be an asset? And so um, I reached out to some of the players just really hoping they would say no, because then I could just let it go. And they were like all about it. And so I reached out to kind of the different tiers of coaches one by one waiting for my closed door. And at the end of the day was, you know, at the end of a couple weeks in was next to coach miles and uh, Les Miles was coaching the team at the time and really expecting there to be the final closed door. And he was like, go for it. <laughs> he was all about it. And, you know, he made it really, really clear from the beginning, which I respected and really liked. He said, you're not, you're going to put in a lot of training before you even get the opportunity to try it out. You know, I had 18 months still. I had a whole senior soccer season um, as well as, you know, half a year before fall tryouts of the season football that I could have been eligible for. And so he's like, if you really want to put in that much work without an assuredness of what the answer will be, know first and foremost that you're not going to get any special treatment because you're a female. You're not going to make the team because you're a girl. Um, but if you can bring a weapon to this team that is different or, you know, is unique um, to what we have, then there, why would we not consider it? And I just loved the leveling of the playing field like that. Um, because I think he probably knew right out the gate what a lot of people from the outside looking in thoughts and assumptions would be. And he just put it right on the table that it wasn't the case. And I was so glad because it was never the case in my mind either. And, um, we just, we just went there. We, man, I trained with them, kicked with them, lifted with the team, um, for a while, you know, in addition to soccer, and then once soccer finally wrapped up after the end of my se- senior year, then for another six months or so, um, just one-on-one with the team and got the fall tryout in the very end after 22 months of training and preparing and um, had a great tryout. But like when I had first started, when I'd gone for the idea initially, there were two specialists and one was about to graduate. And, you know, 22 months later, between transfers and incoming freshmen and whatnot, there were, there were eight specialists, um, between punters and kickers. And, uh, you know, you just have a roster, a roster number in college football and I could kick really well, but we were looking at one season of eligibility versus guys who could kick great and develop for four years. So it ended up being a no in the end, which was like so hard. Um, and I just, grieved for so long with a lot of ice cream on my face because I was like (laughs) I just trained for 22 months Mm -hmm. I just did all of the conditioning with the football team all of their punishment up downs everything voluntarily uh for a no but Mm -hmm. you know what it grew me so much as a woman and as an athlete and um just as a competitor it was it was an incredible opportunity what how do you get through that no Like, like what helped, what helped you get past the no? Because I think that's, I think that's so many people's stories of, you know, you, like you said, you invested so much, like literally months, uh, like almost two years of your life into making this happen. And then all of a sudden your, your dream, your goal is unattainable. It's unaccomplishable. So, and, and that's true for other people, whether it's a career or dreams of a family or whatever it might be, what were the things or the people that helped you get through that? No, or dealing with that? No. 
Yeah. You know, I would say first and foremost was honestly just my mom. My dad had passed while I was in college. So she was really my, my, my rock and my go-to. And what I love so much about my mom is she is, she just tough. She's just a type A. I mean, she's a strong woman. And so she was a sweet and tender mother for a bit and obviously was grieved with me in the loss of, you know, of what a no is. Because no's, no matter what they are in our life, they they can derail. I mean, they punch us in the gut. They're, you know, unexpected or they're disappointing or they seem like failure. Um, and so she was she was kind to comfort me for a while, but then she really helped just kind of pick me back up. And she was like, listen ultimately what, you know, what I grew in understanding through our exchanges is that, um, you know, God doesn't call us to a journey or to a season or to, um, an, an undertaking in life with the blueprint right in front of our faces of start to finish, how it's all going to go, what the turnout is going to be, um, whether we'll succeed or whether by whatever standard we'll fail or whatever it may be. God doesn't present us with the blueprint. He invites us into journeys of faith. He invites us to trust him and to listen to his still small voice and to follow him faithfully. And I really find that it's, it's, it's the steps of faith in that journey that grow us in character and strength and resolve more so than whatever the final answer or outcome of that journey is. Because if I had started up, if, if you know, God had dropped that idea into my mind in Baton Rouge and I had known right away, you're going to work your butt off for 22 months and then you're going to get a no. I wouldn't have done it. Would you know? Would we? Would we do many of the things in life that scare us, or that are hard, or that have you know landed in nose if we didn't have hope, even from the beginning? And so I don't think we would. But I, I look sort of from the athletic parallel, and I'm like, you know, we don't know at the beginning of a season if you're going to win the championship or not. What you're asked to do is show up, work your hardest, give everything you have, train, become an expert. You know sacrifice, sweat, blood, tears, and play and compete and, you know, find out each result, each step of the way. And so I just find that our faith walk, like we're so sensitive. We're such a soft generation that the, the, well, a soft, I guess, human race in general, I shouldn't just peg the millennial generation, but we just see every no as a failure. And my mom was like, no, doesn't, it isn't always a failure. What explain to me what part of the journey was a failure of 22 months of the friendships you made, the relationships you made, the strength you grew in, like the discipline. She was just, she's such a boss. And so she helped me kind of reframe my perspective of really how we see failure and how God uses all for his glory and how sometimes he wants to use us in the journey more than he ever cares about what the result will end up being or, um, you know, how our emotions feel at the end of the day. He's like, I'm, I'm doing a good work in you that I'm going to bring to completion. Mm-hmm. And so- it helped. Was there a particular instance that you could think of throughout your life to where that no, um, that that failure of not making the LSU team or the football team that has helped you in um, in your life? Oh my goodness, a thousand percent. I didn't realize all along the way what you know. Of course, a cool platform, I guess. Um, in the sports world or nationally. I mean, it, the Ellen show had me on while I was, you know, undertaking that whole endeavor. And that's really cool from kind of the surface level place when you could say, yeah, God was building a really cool platform. Like he was doing a really cool thing. It was a fun experience. But ultimately I, I never realized in the extent of what I was doing with a lot of eyes on me who were seeing me take a really big risk with my neck out on the line, getting a lot of flack from people, a lot of cheer from other people. I never would have realized the platform it was building of people watching my bold and outspoken faith journey through that whole process and my courage in the process, I guess, and my determination in the process and what the, how that was speaking to and ministering to young people's hearts about going after what they dream of, you know, not knowing the outcome. It was like, the very process that I kind of grieved at the end was the process that God used to 
to build what is now a, a foundational piece of my story and what provides me the opportunity to walk into a room with athletes and be seen on a different level because of even just an endeavor I tried, you know, I mean, it's, it's just been really cool to see that piece of the story kind of follow me and be a neat conversation topic because almost everybody's question starts with like, why did you do that? What gave and gave you the idea? And I get to, I get to rewind and I get to talk about Jesus and I get to talk about God, like transforming my life and then calling me to really bold steps of faith. And so it's just, it's become a really cool witnessing tool. If, if the LSU Tigers and in, in the Bayou can become a witnessing tool, um, they did. <laughs> so that's been, it's been neat. What were, what's maybe one or two, and I, I know you weren't on the, the LSU uh, football team, but what's one or two lessons that you took away from Coach Miles? Because he just, like even, you know, I followed, followed college football and he's not with them anymore, but he always just had an interesting leadership style to him and was always seen as a little bit of eccentric. What did you take away from your time uh, under his leadership? Yeah, you know, I'll say the biggest thing, and this is actually going to deflect a little from him specifically. It was it was seeing behind the scenes of college football and seeing the business that it is, the process that it is, like all of the moving parts. I really started to understand and even more so appreciate all of the coaches and the support staff and the weightlifting staff and the trainers, all of the smaller names that fall under these, you know, head coach, head coaches get all the glory, obviously, and all the tear down if they fail. But, you know, they have a lot of weight on their shoulders. But there is such an incredibly large team of people making this possible and helping these guys literally live out their dreams of playing at an incredible level. And it's down to the trainers who literally spray water in the athletes' mouths. Um, like, I, I don't know um, what more not demeaning, but simple job you could get to humbling job of literally taking the trash from people and helping with their sweat and, you know, spraying water into their mouths. But every piece of the puzzle is so important. I started to see it kind of as like a bullseye. You have the players kind of right at the center, and then you have these rings of influence around them that kind of get wider and wider and wider. And I really grew in great respect for the smaller rings that are around these players, speaking into them, encouraging them. Gosh, the mentors, the tutors, the academic staff, like keeping these guys on track day in and day out. All of these smaller ring people. Um, I loved seeing them get to move in their gifts and talents and be supported by, by Coach Miles and by the university. Because your widest ring out is your you know administrative staff and your head coach. And so... I, I, I don't know. It was neat. He is definitely eccentric and he's fun and he was personable and um, he's quirky. He's like almost hard to kind of describe. Um, he eats grass and he just is a funny disposition about him. Uh, I don't know if Coach O is too much different than the quirky department, but he's, he's like he, really he, lovable. <laughs> yeah. Coach O, he's just a little bit more fiery. <laughs> yeah, he's fiery and he's just a little bit more. He's like that real rich Cajun. Like that, that when you hear him talk and when you see his disposition on TV, that is Louisiana. That's what mm -hmm. these people are like if you're if you're from the place. So um, it was just neat I, I, to totally see him respect his leadership style and what he was doing, but really to grow an appreciation for all of the small ring people underneath who are the day in day out shapers of these young men who are playing. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. So that's part of, uh, you know, the adversity that you face. But, you know, another part of your story is that um, is that you were in a serious car accident. And so can, can you talk to us a little bit about that and kind of how how that was like a little bit of a like a tra trajectory changer for you and kind of what you learned through going through that experience? Totally. Yeah, there were several big chunks of adversity that all of which kind of rewind prior to um, the LSU football, you know, chapter. But um, yeah, I went through a tremendous amount in a very short amount of time. Um, I'd struggled a lot with kind of identity issues and control issues and um, that had developed into a really vicious eating disorder back when I was in high school. So that had been a little bit more chronic of a struggle. But when I got to college after my freshman year, I 
was kind of crawling out of that, maturing, growing, you know, healing some. And after my freshman year, which was an incredible year on the soccer field, um, my my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger. And suddenly suicide was a part of my story. Mm-hmm. And the next year was just spent reeling and grieving and depressed and anxious and running from God, really. And, um, you know, living in, by anything that would satisfy my flesh, you know, no matter what it did to my spirit. And um, I struggled in that for quite a while. And then sophomore year, again, had a decent year on the soccer field, but was headed home for Thanksgiving break after season um, from Baton Rouge to Atlanta and lost control of my Jeep and flipped it three times and landed upside down in a ravine at 1.30 in the morning, completely alone, completely physically broken. I had broken my neck, my ribs, damaged lungs, liver, brain, jaw. I mean, I was just a mess. My car was annihilated. And this is all happening, you know, suicide and depression and, you know, not even knowing who on earth I am and um, really growing to this place of anger and bitterness and resentment. But, but wearing the mask and faking fine, like, like so many of us wear these masks, we're going through really hard, really broken stuff, but we hold it together for the world around us and we fake that we're fine. And that I felt so trapped in it. I felt so overwhelmed and just drowned in this perception that everyone, you know, I was trying to maintain, but really in a hard place. And it was actually the car accident. Um, it was actually, it was a pretty divine encounter. It wasn't just a random car accident. It was really a place I had grown to in my heart where I understood that my dad did what he did. And I saw it as a viable option for my own life. That's how, that's how far gone I was. Um, and I, I was headed home for that Thanksgiving break on the interstate, really in an, in an arguing match with God. I mean, just crying out to God, if you are so real, if you are this healer and this redeemer, if you love me, like I just keep hearing like lip service from all these people. If this is really who you are, if you're so powerful, do something, do something, reveal yourself to me somehow, or else just wreck my life, just end my life because I I don't want to live it anymore. And so it, it was sort of this moment, this boiling point moment in my life where it, it was crying out to God saying, just, just end this all or do something, you know, change this all somehow. Um, and that was when I was alone on the interstate. I was a single car on the road. And I, I, I can't even tell you how it progressed from one minute to the next, but the next I know I've lost control of my vehicle and I'm like in the center median and I'm trying to pull my car back onto the interstate. I can't figure out what's going on. And I shoot straight across the interstate, hit this embankment and flipped my Jeep three times. Um, and, and, you know, ended up in finally the most broken moment you really could have drawn me to without ending everything. And I think sometimes that's God's response to us. So if I'll wreck your life and to save your life and to save your eternal story. So if it is, if it is so hard for you to see and know my goodness, my love for you, my purpose, my plans for you, I will make myself known if you cry out and ask me to. Um, and, and for me, it was hanging upside down in that Jeep. Um, alone that I, I, I became overwhelmed by the presence and the power of the Holy spirit in that Jeep, literally hanging upside down by my seatbelt in that moment, I was overwhelmed by the presence of a living God that felt as crushing in intensity as it did like soul resuscitating and freeing all in the same breath. And I just, I just encountered the spirit of God that said, be still and know that I am God. And it was, it was unbelievable. It was obviously changed the whole entire trajectory of my life because I hung upside down in that Jeep and was met by a King who saw all of my filth, all of my pain, all of my adversity, all of my struggle, everything I'd been wrestling with and said, be still and know that I am God, that I love you. I see you. I am and for you. I have plans for you. I have purpose for you. It was like the depths of the gospel and the intensity of the cross were before my eyes and downloaded into the deepest parts of my heart where everything just made sense. Everything. It, you know, I say he'll answer and he could wreck your life and he could do crazy things and, you know, your life could turn upside down. Sure. 
but he could also just whisper into your story. And if it's the voice of God, it changes everything. And so it changed the whole trajectory of my life because it was in that Jeep that I decided I was going to, I was going to follow Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter what, what the risk was for me, no matter what it required of me to die to in myself, no matter what I had encountered Jesus, I could not deny the presence and the reality of God almighty and the very real reality of Jesus. And it, it was, I couldn't give a lukewarm answer. I couldn't like crawl out and continue to let the haphazard winds of life, like maybe blow my broken pieces back together. I had to trust him as the God of the universe, the one who knit me together in my mother's womb to rebuild me into a new creation because I was just, I was in every way broken. And, um, I chose in that Jeep to follow Jesus and, um, have never looked back and he has never failed and never forsaken me. His word has always been true. There were depths of theology and the gospel that were downloaded into me that night that I can literally only attribute to the spirit of God because I didn't, I never had read them. Mm -hmm. I was like that church kid who, you know, showed up because your parents make you show up, but like, wasn't, wasn't growing in an active faith walk at all. I could have told you a lot about God. I didn't know God. But when you come to know God and you seek him with all of your heart, he draws near to you as you draw near to him. And it was like, he's, he's never left me. And, and it's been amazing ever since. Yeah, that, that, that story is just unbelievable. I'm tearing up even just listening to you talk about it. Um, but there's, there's reality there, too, that <laughs> you're hanging upside down in a Jeep. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, so, that part. <laughs> yeah, th- there's that part. How, yeah. How did you go about beginning to rebuild? I know that you've talked a lot about faith and how, how God played a the, the centerpiece of that whole thing. But how did you begin to rebuild? How did you overcome? Because, I mean, you're, you're talking about how there's all sorts of things going on in life. I mean, your, your dad and, and everything that happened with that. You're, you're coming out of the, the eating disorder. Just all these things. How did you overcome and begin to rebuild um, cause there, cause you're right. There's a moment where you're hanging there and you're like, okay, well this changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so the first thing is that someone found me. So that was helpful. <laughs> There's been one guy on the road that night who was ends up, if this is not God just showing off sometimes, but of all the people, he's a retired paramedic and in the Navy, the guy that pulls over in his car, you know, to check out what's going on. So he helped me out obviously and got me, um, help with the hospital and, I had a very long like physical recovery uh, that had to take place. But when it came to, okay, so life's changed in this Jeep. Now what? It became in so many ways, the very practical, my, my heart and my spirit are different. And so very practically, how does my life and my actions and everything around me catch up. Like, what do I do? How do I reckon with all that is going on in my my mind and my heart? Like, it wasn't just to let me sit back and just read my Bible each day and just hope everything changes and gets better. We're going to find ourselves back in the same place of grief and overwhelming struggle and temptation and sin if we are expecting, I guess, um, to, to continue living in the same rhythm of actions and of choices and of, you know, thoughts and of decisions and expecting different results. Is it Einstein who says like insanity is repeating the same thing, expecting a different result. And so I really realized my life, I had to choose each and every day what I was going to do, who I was going to follow um, what I was going to fill my mind with, my eyes with, my heart with, who I was going to listen to as voices to speak into my life, like, and who I was no longer going to be around. That was probably the biggest and hardest thing. And I think it's something that paralyzes a lot of people. When transformation comes and happens, we're then terrified still to be alone. But God says, love me with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. That all became really non-negotiable to me. And so it was just section by section of life figuring out, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like to love you with all of me? Okay, 
So in this area, God, though I would love to rationalize that every bar needs someone there to minister and share the gospel, I probably shouldn't go to the bars right now because it's still a place of temptation for me. Like I, in this area, socially, I have to put boundaries around where I can go because I need to be aware of my triggers and what's going to lead me into things that aren't glorifying to God and what's going to benefit me. And when it comes to these people, who do I need to kindly love and thank, but walk away from, you know, and who do I need to forgive and who do I need to ask forgiveness from? It was like, when it came to my relationships with people, there was a lot of really practical work that had to be done there of me cultivating conversations or putting boundaries in place. Gosh, especially with some of the guys that were some of my, you know, triggers and struggles in my college experience. I had to straight up peace out. Sorry. You know, I I can't keep hanging out with you or in this group. I can't respond to your 2 a.m. you up text. Like this isn't how you walk with Jesus. And, you know, so it was just like taking every area of life and figuring out how does the greatness of what's been done for me on the cross affect this part of my life and everything changed. And so it was really hard. I lost a lot of friends who I wouldn't serve the sin in anymore. I walked in a season really of somewhat of isolation. Um, I gave up a lot of, you know, I didn't go to a lot of places. Sure. It would have been really fun to go to. And that was hard for a stretch, but, but then God is so faithful and kind to send us the people that we need who are walking the same way we are, who are on a similar mission to mend relationships when we've had the humility to ask forgiveness or to forgive, to present new opportunities and surroundings that we can be accepted in and, you know, find fulfillment in. And it was like, there was this like, like period of this really hurts and this is really hard and I really don't like this, but the sort of steadfast, I need to put my head down and grind it out and every day still choose this and choose to follow Jesus. And when you do that, the outpouring, if you can press on with some endurance, it's like the outpouring is so overwhelming and it changed, it changed my life completely. And it changed my whole college experience. And so I think the really practical is something that we have to kind of buck up and, and grab a hold of and just do, just do when it doesn't feel good to our emotions, just do when we kind of want something else, just do obedience and your heart will become obedient. It's really beautiful. It's hard, but it's beautiful. What did you do to remain encouraged during that time? Because, you know, as you were saying, you know, you're, you're going through this transformation and then in some instances, for a lot of it, you're isolated. You kind of feel like you're the only one. What did you do to remain encouraged throughout all of that? Because I'm sure there were some days to where it's like, God, I just want to give up or can it be another way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, first off, when those friends started to come around, that was incredible encouragement. There's no mistaking the unbelievable growth and strength that comes in us when we are surrounded by community. I think one of the enemy's greatest tactics against us is to isolate us and keep us isolated. So we feel like we have to do it all alone. We feel like it is our own strength. We feel like, you know, oh, maybe I can just let this slide and mess up here or, you know, choose this instead and not have to deal with any repercussions. You know, isolation just kind of a dangerous place for the long term. Um, So those friends were incredible encouragement. But in that season where it was the in-between, It truly became, it's also a really, again, another really practical application of the word, but when I would feel discouraged or when I would feel tempted or when I would feel overwhelmed, what scripture says is we should take our thoughts captive and surrender them to Christ. And one version I read one time said, take your thoughts captive and beat them into submission to Christ. And that sounds so intense and so extreme, but I was listening to John Piper recently or or reading a piece of his where he talked about when a thought comes into our mind, whatever it may be, we have around five seconds to respond as to whether we will take that thought captive, surrender it to Christ, pray, replace that thought with truth. That's where knowing the word of God 
becomes really important, uh, especially when we don't even have a Bible at hand, is the word of the Bible written on your heart. So when that thought comes of, of temptation or defeat or abandonment or loneliness, you can take that thought captive surrender it to Christ in prayer and pray and speak the truth of the word of God in place of it. So we have five seconds to decide, is that the route we're going to go? Or are we going to entertain this thought? Think about that, a little five second window to decide if we're going to entertain this thought or if we're going to overcome it. And when we entertain it, sure, we might not act it out that instant, but we've started, we've started cooking something in our mind and in our heart and believing that that lie or that negative feeling or that downtrodden emotion or whatever it may be has legitimacy to take root. And it's like, man, so much of the war and so many of our lives goes on between our own two ears. Like we, we get this feeling of discouragement or this is really hard or this isn't going to be worth it. And we just let it sit there and fester. And we become people who are discouraged to choose a plan B, who don't see something out because we've allowed a thought to sculpt that. If we can take these thoughts captive and say, no, God, I'm surrendering this to you. I know that you are faithful. I know that what you begin, when you bring uh, something to, to beginning, you will bring it to completion. I know that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know you have plans and purpose. I know you call me to holiness. I know that you draw near to me and comfort me. I know, you know, when we replace it with truth, it changes our ability to be enduring in walking out hard stuff. Not because we read the best self-help book and figured out, you know, how to feel okay when we don't feel okay, but because we let the spirit of God, like actually give us our strength. And it's not about our strength and our ability to do it. It's about Jesus's sufficiency to do it. But do we give him the space and let him? Um, and so honestly, it was kind of a me and God for a season there of like, mm -hmm. you just got to mm -hmm. do it. And he always did. So... Mo, you have shared so much of your story. People are probably listening going, there is no way I could be that vulnerable and I could be that transparent. What what has helped you um, create kind of like just being okay with, you know what, I'm going to share, you know, some of the stuff that's going to go through, even though it's painful, even though it's, um, you know, just adversity that you've got through. What has helped you become more comfortable with sharing that stuff? Oh, such a great question. A, a brand new baby believer. I came across the scripture that said that the enemy is defeated by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. And it was so it like rocked me a little bit because when I looked at that scripture, to me, it looked like an invitation from God to like co-labor and participate in annihilating the enemy. I'm like, how cool we, we, it, the blood of the lamb is sufficient on the cross, but we're invited actually to teammate in this capacity and share our stories. And so then it comes down to like, crap, that means I have to share my story. <laughs> my story is really hard. This is really embarrassing. I mean, goodness, my most recent book is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. And that was in a tactful and wise way airing out basically my sexual testimony and pointing to truth. And that was really hard to write. That was like the hardest thing to pin. But I also came across a piece of scripture that, that invited us to boast in our weaknesses so that we can point to the glory of the cross. If I'm going to boast in anything, let me boast in my weaknesses so that I can point to the greatness and the glory of Jesus. Because we have a lot of people walking around and we want to share our story of our strengths and our abilities and the great things that we can do and how we've made it. And I'm like, it doesn't really at the end share much of a message about how we really you need Jesus. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it, it's by Jesus's strength. It's by his grace. It's by, it's by his upholding and withstanding right hand that we are able to make it through. And so I found that the more I shared about the harder stuff, the more I could literally stand in a room and speak and see hearts light up because sure, everyone thinks it's cool to hear a girl tried out for the football team. He scored a 90 yard goal. Everyone thinks it's amazing to hear about the person who won the gold medal or won the Olympics or this or that, but far, far, far more can relate to the person who didn't, 
And the person who fails or the person who's struggled or the person who has endured pain, it's the humanizing qualities of us are the hard qualities. Those are the things that far more of us have in common than we do the mountaintop experiences. And so when I look at scripture, I see God saying, would you share your humanity? Would you share your humanity so that you can help other people realize we're, we're running this race together and I've endured this too. And I don't know all the answers, but let me point you to the one who, who's drawn me out of the darkness and into his glorious light. Like, let me show you, I may only be a few steps ahead of you, but let me be a beacon of hope that I've endured this and you can make it through by the love and the grace and the strength and the mercy of God. And so it was like, when I started finding the courage to speak about the suicide, to speak about the eating disorder, I, it, I can't tell you the number of people that flocked at the end of every talk who were like, yeah, 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 cool. The soccer stuff and football and whatever. But listen, my, my brother committed suicide, you know, or like, yeah, all that's great. And so cool. That's I'm sure why you were doing the VIP signing at the beginning. Really neat. Glad we got our picture, but listen, I am cutting myself like, and I needed to hear, you know, X, Y, and Z. And so I just think we all need to like, <laughs> I think it helps when it comes to sharing our story to put into perspective our humanity and to to release our pride a little bit that, of course, wants to lead with our highs, but realize the great invitation from the king of all kings is to lead with your lows because our lows connect our stories. And he is the one who took a cross so that every single one of those lows could be redeemed and could become the very things that shape us, just like we talked about the, at the very beginning, the no's that seem like, you know, into the trails in our story and actually become trajectory changers. So and that's why I just go word vomit my baggage all over everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. You have written a book and we've been talking this whole time and it's been unbelievable. We haven't even gotten into your book yet. And so one of the things that um, you've recently done as you've written this book, like you said, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. And um, I, I'm just curious. I want to start here. And, and I, we're, 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 I'm just curious. What, what have you, what's probably the big thing that you learned through the process of writing the book? And, I, and one of the things I think that really pops out to me in the book is the need for the church to be transparent and talk about this subject. So maybe what's some stuff that you've learned um, through the process of writing it and, and why is it that you really – because you really do feel strongly about this is something that needs to be talked about in the church. Can you just talk to us about that? Yeah, of course. So I'll start with the second question because it kind of leads me back to your first. But when I wrote my first book, Wreck My Life, and it was my testimony, my narrative, I realized midway through writing it there was a huge part, thematic struggle through my story that rooted around – sexuality that rooted around sexual issues, you know, and I didn't want to rob that narrative, sell it short by trying to squeeze it into one chapter. I knew in my heart that it needed to be a book of its own because this conversation is big and this conversation has been underhad or muted or shamed or confused for far too long. And so I, when I started to write sex, Jesus and the conversations church forgot, I just call it sex and Jesus helps everyone. It's a big long mouthful. So I just abbreviate. Um, when I started to write sex, it's and also Jesus, really edgy too. What do you mean? Sex and Jesus? What are you talking about? That was our hashtag in the, when, in the book release, we had people like, what, what these words don't go together. I'm like, my friend, this is why you need to read the book. It was like, when I started writing it, you know, I think, I was anxious to get to the narrative part because that's sort of easy when you're a storyteller of like, how do I weave in the story? But God just kept pushing me back to start. And if you read the book from the beginning of reframing the definition and right out of the, out of the gate, stating and understanding truth, because by and large, we as a culture, church and unchurched people alike, do not really have much of a sourced definition for all things sex. We're the most sexually promiscuous, we're the most sexually fueled and charged culture in like the 
course of history, we can't even turn on a cat food commercial without it being over-sexualized. I mean, our culture has twisted, cheapened, stolen, idolized, worshipped sex. And yet most people, if you sit down to have a real conversation about it, don't really know much of anything or don't really have many answers. And when I started looking at the world, when it, it you know, what its guidelines are and where it, you know, draws its definitions. And I just was seeing something that was ever changing. It was just always changing or full of different opinion or full of different schools of thought. And that was kind of how I grew up, just kind of trying to touch and go, navigate the world's maze. What are peers doing? What should I be doing? What am I lame for not doing? Like, what do I want? What does my flesh want? Like, do I... I never once thought about self-control over any of those things. And so I was like, you know what? We have to start at the never changing, never failing sourced definition of what sex even is. And sex was God's invention. This is what was so beautiful. As I started to look through the word, I'm like, we as a church act like it's so taboo to talk about sex, but the first conversation God ever had with man was about sex. And God talks about sex all through the word. And we see kingdoms rise and fall around sexual issues. And we see the first evangelist with permission from Jesus, the Samaritan woman. She's a whore at the well with a sexual backstory. And Jesus uses her as the first person he gives explicit permission to to go tell people he's the Messiah, the son of God. We see the adulteress to be stoned. We see King David and his struggles. I mean, we see so much about sex and so much dense teaching. And at the very beginning, we see even the invention of sex and its original design and intent between Adam and Eve is this unifying gift, this act of worship created by God. Not that the created thing would be worshiped, but that the creator, the creator would be worshiped in this beautiful unifying act that he created within a covenant. And so it's like, we, we also see if you really dig in, can you tell I get fired up because I'm currently streaming <laughs> at my computer. Sorry for your audio guys. Like, dear Lord, calm her down. I just real fired up because we, we also look and we see that sex in the right context with the correct parameters that God designs not to limit us by this rule list of do this, don't do that. This is right. This is wrong. But to say, I know what's best for you. I created this for you. Here's the guidelines of it. This is what's going to benefit your soul. This is how you will be fruitful in life, how you will multiply. Like when we look at how man chose to choose for ourselves what we wanted, we see how something that was originally created as an absolute weapon against the enemy became a weapon the enemy is used and wielded against us in our lack of understanding and in our lack of compassion and our lack of even understanding of God's grace in the midst of our struggle. And so I just, I, it had to start at the word of God and it had to end at the word of God. And the narrative in the middle is examples for teaching. But at the end, I, you don't really have to say much more than what God has said because his word speaks right into this generation and this time and all that we're dealing with and um, is, doesn't miss a beat. And so um, it was just really neat to sit down with a topic of that many people, especially within the church, find taboo or are ashamed to talk about or don't know how to talk about to sit down and be like, guys, let's all get on the same page here. This is God's design. This is what he intends. This is how we have whacked it out. And here's my prime examples because I lived it. And this is how he will restore it if you allow him to. And um, it was really fun. Someone asked me the other day, they're like, how did you go from a college soccer player to a sexpert? And I was like, it wasn't a direct route. It was never my intent, but somehow here. So it's, uh, it's been really cool. It's been cool to unpack a topic that I never could have imagined. Like when God gave me the word to write that it was 2015 and the writing process is long. I was actually still finishing my first book, but when it released, it released on the heels of the hashtag me too movement. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what more perfect timing could God have orchestrated when you literally have a world crying out, we are wounded. And to say, here is some salving truth. And it's been amazing to hear feedback from all walks of life, all types of people. It's been really cool.
So there's actually a term sexpert. You know, I'm going to copyright it, I think, because it's brilliant. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, so, in the book, it put, um, I was talking about marriage. You know, we're told our whole lives, like, sex is gross, dirty, bad, avoid it, horrible, and then get married, and there you go. You can have it. And we're like, oh, God, like, I don't even want that. <laughs> We've denied ourselves so long, we don't even know how to handle it when it's suddenly permissible. And so I called this one chapter False Sexpectations, and I was like, brilliant. And so I'm pretty sure that person moved off of my sexpectations word to create sex words. <laughs> uh, so, Mo, just as we're wrapping up, we have a few quick uh, rapid-fire questions that we love to ask all of our guests. And the first one is, what's one thing that is helping you personally or professionally right now? What's one thing that what? That is helping you either personally or professionally right now. Oh, my goodness. Sleep. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I would say um, it's going to sound so so cheesy, but truly my husband. Um, he, oh, you know, just back in June, he made a really big commitment. We made a leap of faith as a family. He had been working full time at the hospital near us and. Um, I was just traveling a lot and, you know, we, we really see ministry. So that's work and that's personal life because when you're in ministry, it just all blends together. But, um, we really see the family as a multi-generational team. And we were at a place where we were both waking up and doing our own separate things and trying to juggle the kids in the middle. And we were like, what are we doing? We're, we're, we're worn out and we're burnout. And what are we doing? And, um, how do we change this? And so he went down part-time at the hospital and came on part-time with the ministry. Mm-hmm. And now um, it's been it's been the most incredible and most helpful thing to be on mission together as a family, like all on the same page, all focused, all helping one another, all even having the time to see each other face-to-face. Revolutionary, right? Like mm-hmm. that we would we would get to do life together. And that was a leap of faith for us, you know? Uh, And I think a lot of things in life are, we're like, we don't know exactly how we're going to make ends meet. We don't know exactly how this, this or that, but we believe God's saying this will benefit us. And so let's jump in. And it is, it has only exploded the growth and the progress and um, both of our states of mind and heart. It's been so helpful. So the sexpert is saying that her husband is the number one thing right now. Right. My smoking hot husband. (laughs) How cliche. Sorry. Next one. I'm, I'm just playing with you. Um, next one is, what advice would you give to somebody who is eager to learn? Could be learning about anything, by the way. Just they're, they're oh, browsers. It's just not even my advice. It's from the word of God. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Mm-hmm. Be slow, slow, slow to speak and quick to listen. I <laughs> am literally growing in this every single day. I'm actively learning this learning technique. <laughs> But be slow to speak and quick to listen. And don't just listen with the with the intent to listen. Listen with the intent to hear and to understand. And even if it challenges you or conflicts with something in you, whatever it may be, listen, listen, listen. And when God gives you the words to respond or speak, speak. But um, I'm I'm preaching to myself in that whole message. That's been one I've been really learning a lot about. Now this is my favorite question. Okay. If you could, if you could have everybody learn one thing, now that one thing could be how to roast a marshmallow that's perfect. Okay, <gasps> or it could be something tactical, philosophical, practical, whatever. <gasps> but it could be how to roast a marshmallow, how to make the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I mean, you can go anywhere mm. you want with this. What's the one thing? This is such an important question. I've not given it enough thought. (laughs) Listen, there are a few things. I'm very meticulous. So I'm like, there's several things I could tell you how to do perfectly. (laughs) But here's here's where I might conflict with some people. So like I said, y'all are my first interview in my new office space. We just moved houses. The house has a fire pit. I just bought marshmallows to roast. And here's s'mores are my all-time favorite treat. So here, though, is where I would probably differ from people. My idea of a perfectly roasted marshmallow is that you light the whole thing on fire and it just (laughs) 
singes and burns. Get um, behind I, me, Satan. Get, but that is ridiculous. ridiculous. Listen, it can, the crunch and the chemicals oh. I'm sure a human body shouldn't take in oh. from a marshmallow can really make something out of your s'more. <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh. Oh. Uh, uh, so that's how I would do that perfectly. Um, I honestly don't know how to do mu- too much else perfectly. I would state and say that I do. I'm learning as I go. I just earlier, my 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 one year old's hands were in the toilet. Just earlier than that, my two year old was just. Uh, oh, here's what happened recently. Uh, uh, we just moved in, so we had these banisters restained, and the and the walls painted this beautiful white. And um, I just think I'm walking through the house showing the children. I'm just juggling all things. I'm super mom. And then I turn around and my child has rubbed the banister and done handprints all the way up the wall. And so here's how you perfectly, here's how you perfectly cry out in pain when you see something like this. It comes from deep in the heart. This is, how, this is what I know how to perfectly do, just to scream, to cry out. Um, <laughs> it's frequent in my home. Uh, so I could coach somebody in that, I guess. And then our last question is, what are you learning right now? What am I learning right now? My goodness. I'm really learning to be fully present and to not feel bad about it. We're like in this world that stretches you in a million different directions if you let it. And sometimes our no's are just as anointed as our yeses Hmm. of like, no, I'm not going to do that. Or no, I'm I'm not going to, you know, take that on or... It, it helps you be able to be really present and for your yes to really mean yes. And I, I'm really trying to learn what that looks like and get down on the ground and play with my kids and not feel bad about it. And, you know, just be wherever I am right now on this podcast, fully invested in this moment right here. And in 10 minutes, fully invested in chasing my kid around and, you know, 10 minutes later, fully invested in the next thing for work. And it's like, we don't have to have all our windows open in our mind at at all times. If we can be fully present with what's right before us, I think we'll be people who start to do things with excellence and start to carry around a lot less guilt. Cause it's typically when we're trying to juggle 20 things and they're each getting like 5% of ourselves that we struggle with like, Oh, I'm not able to do this. I'm not a terrible mom. I'm a terrible, this, you know, but it's like, maybe if we could just be a hundred percent with whatever's right before us, we we'd be a little bit better off. So that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm learning. Well, Mo, thank you so much for being on the learner's corner today. Thanks for your vulnerability. Thanks for investing in our audience. If people want to continue to learn from you, find your, either one of your books, where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, Barnes and Noble will kick my butt for saying it, but just get on Amazon. It's cheap. <laughs> It'll just show up at your door. Uh, yeah, anywhere books are sold, but Amazon's super easy to order on. Um, they can also jump over to my website, which is just moisum.com, and that's got links to all the retailer stuff for people. Um, also, if you want to give a little follow on Instagram, I do a lot of giveaways <laughs> and have a lot of fun on there, so that's another choice. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, Todd, really fun conversation. Lots of takeaways, lots of authenticity, vulnerability. What did you take away? I think that's exactly what I took away from it was authenticity and vulnerability. I, I was just incredibly impressed with her ability to talk about, you know, the, these horrible instances and things that had happened in her life and how, you know, faith and, and all these things got her, her through that. One of the things I thought was really applicable was it, she really had this, this mentality it seemed like just just in our conversation that um, you know she was she was not going to allow her circumstances to define who she was. She was going to um, you know she wanted God to define who she was. She wanted her faith to define who she was, um, and and that was really something that that seemed to be the carryover effect for her throughout her entire story and to this day. Um, and I know that Mo now she speaks all over the country. She's a very sought after speaker. Um, but I just thought that was that was incredibly powerful and incredibly applicable, particularly, you know, when she gets into a little bit of the story of her trying out for the LSU football team um, and just the fact that she practiced and trained all season and then she didn't even make the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was still was willing to do it. She wasn't she, she whether or not she made the team did not define um, who she was. Yep. Her 
being a part of that team was m more. There was more to it than that. Yeah. So I love, love this conversation. Um, she's a fascinating lady. Yeah, and if you enjoyed this conversation, you won't want to miss next week's episode. To What's happening next week? Next week, we talk with Dr. Tasha Urich, <gasps> who wrote a book called Insight. It is one of my favorite books that I've read this year. It's a previous Lunar's Corner recommended resource as well. And we talk with her about gaining insight into who we are, internal, external self-awareness, all of that stuff. Ayo. And the best way to make sure you don't miss it is by how, Todd? Well, um, you can subscribe to the podcast. I mean, that, that's a great way to not ever miss an episode. By the way, if you have podcasts you listen to on a regular basis, you should just subscribe to them. It's an easy way to never miss one. Same thing with our podcast. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on um, Google Play Music. You can find us all the places. Um, Caleb and I, we use an app called Overcast, which syncs up uh, for, in particular, it syncs up for I iPhone users. It syncs to, to iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can do things, really cool things. Like you can actually adjust the speed. This is not an ad, by the way, for Overcast. This is just, we love this app. So do that. You can also leave us a rating and write a review, though. That would be super helpful. Yep. Do it. Leave it. We would appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe. So thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Also, thank you to Sam Massey for sponsoring today's podcast. Shout out. And for this incredible uh, mu podcast music that you get to hear on your way out of the podcast as well. Are you ready for this thing to drop? So, without any further wait, my name is Caleb Mason. My name is Todd Exenbaugh, and Caleb's going to be head bobbing here in a second. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. 